This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. In a striking essay that came out at the end of March, philosopher, public speaker, and author Charles Eisenstein wrote that, quote, COVID-19 is showing us that when humanity is united in common cause, phenomenally rapid change is possible. None of the world's problems are technically difficult to solve. They originate in human disagreement. In coherency, humanity's creative powers are boundless. Eisenstein's essay, The Coronation, explores the interconnectivity between the many systems in our society and ourselves and how a so-called, quote, reflex of control may be holding us back from learning important lessons at this crucial time. His piece also received attention from some people who took some of what he said to be sympathetic to conspiracy theories that are cropping up around the pandemic. In response to this, Eisenstein penned another essay that was just published on his website yesterday. It's called The Conspiracy Myth, and it not only acknowledges this proliferation of conspiracy narratives, it also digs into why these stories are emerging in the first place and what we can learn from looking at this moment in society. I'm really pleased to welcome Charles Eisenstein to Detroit today. It's great to have you here. Yeah, thank you. So we're definitely going to get to this latest piece a little later in the conversation, but there are so many important topics to discuss from your March essay, The Coronation, and I want to start there. You released your first essay almost two months ago. How has this pandemic been unfolding from your view? It's been going in every direction at once. Um, and I, I could pick on lots of different data points, but right now the most striking to me is how it's, on the one hand, uh, creating a kind of a solidarity that I've never seen before in my lifetime. Like, for the first time in my life, the entire planet is all thinking about the same thing and recognizing that on some level we're all in this together. It's no longer possible to think that your health is disconnected from my health when we're all subject to a universal, a pandemic contagion. And on the other hand, in the opposite direction, uh, I'm seeing the trend of political polarization reach a fever pitch uh, as as science and medicine become to even more than ever before uh, politicized and, and used to define opposing political camps. And that's kind of uh, related to the to the whole conspiracy theory topic. But that's that's one one thing that I've been. Uh, acutely aware of in the last week. Hmm. Uh, in, in the piece, you write that you had the feeling for a long time that society is at a crossroads. What kind of crossroads are you talking about? So I don't know about you, but um, for, I'd say, most of my adult life, I've had a feeling of that, that we, and maybe to some extent myself, uh, as a member of society, have been trapped in a story and a system that doesn't actually serve anybody. Um, it's obvious that the system that we've lived in doesn't serve, um, generally speaking, people of color and the oppressed and so forth. Uh, but it doesn't actually even serve the, the 1%. If you want to find a truly happy person, somebody radiating joy, you're usually not going to find it in the Hamptons or in Beverly Hills. You have to go to some 
part of the world that is less touched by development. Mm. Uh, whereas our society, contrary to the, to, the, to the great promise of science and technology and modern medicine and social sciences that were supposed to usher in a technological and social utopia, contrary to that promise, we've seen over my lifetime, I mean, I'm in my early 50s, uh, we've seen a decline in economic well-being as wealth has become increasingly concentrated. We've seen new epidemics of autoimmunity, depression, addiction rising. We even have seen lifespan starting to decline now. Life expectancy is, is, has been slightly declining for the last few years. And, and so it's, it's like just, and also, of course, looking at the ecological crisis, we, we, we're like, this isn't really working, mm. but we feel trapped in the direction that we've been going. <clears throat> so now, all of a sudden, everything stops. And we have this pause where we could, you know, there's talk of going back to normal. But because we're being shown so clearly uh, where we've been going and where we are, we have an opportunity to not go back to normal and to really ask, what about the old normal do we actually want to uh, reclaim and embrace? And what of the old normal maybe don't we need any? Maybe maybe do we not need anymore? Hmm. So that's what I mean by the crossroads: a, a, an unconscious, a compulsion, uh, an, a seemingly inevitable trajectory of society now is offered to us as a choice. And as you were quoting before, because because look at the tremendous changes that we've been able uh, to accomplish uh, with unity from the political level all the way down to the grassroots level, you know, from quarantine and lockdown on the political level to voluntary social distancing. Uh, whatever your views on the necessity and efficacy of that, we did make enormous changes. So it suggests, wow, what, what other changes could we make? Like, for example, and feel free to interrupt if I'm going on too long, um, but the, you know, trillions of dollars of, of stimulus Six months ago, if you had called for trillions of dollars of anything, you would have been answered with, well, we can't afford that. <laughs> right. We don't have the money, right? Right, but we do. So, so we're learning that, that money is actually a social agreement, the same as debt, and that can be changed if we are in, in unity. Yeah. So, so, so you, you, you started your answer by asking uh, me if I if I felt this way, and and I have to say that I, I do now. I and I don't know that I I don't know that I was quite there before this all started, but I I certainly had lots of frustrations with things that were going on in the world or not going well, things that that seemed to be spinning out of control, uh, both on in terms of. Uh, economic disparities and things like that, but uh, then also things in the natural world, our effect on on climate and things like that. But but I certainly do now. I think uh, feel like the pandemic and the the kind of shock to your consciousness that the pandemic brought with it has has moved me more into the space of really questioning everything that we were doing before and wondering whether it made sense and wondering whether we have to go back to it. But I guess, and, and this is my next question for you, how do you move from that space where 
people are starting to think that way. And I think there are a lot of people who probably fall into that category. And actual discussions about things being different. I think there's a really big leap to make there. And you've got to build a bridge across that leap somehow. So I, w I want you to talk just a little about how we go from this sense that many of us might now have that things were not so great before, or a lot of things weren't so great before, and we'd like them to be different in the future, but how do we make that so? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. And I think that that bridge uh, has to go, it, the bridge is the territory of unknowing. It's the territory of letting go of what we thought we knew about the world, which is happening to people. It's called cognitive, cognitive dissonance, where mm -hmm. things had seemed unchangeable uh, and permanent are being revealed as actually quite fragile. When, when, when things fall apart and when the way that we make sense of the world stops working for us, one of the responses is to cling all the more tightly to the familiar. Mm -hmm. So an example of that is in this medical crisis, um, the 30 or 40 years of, of research and practice in, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, research and practice in alternative and holistic medicine has kind of gone out the window where people default back to their comfort zone um, and the health authorities also. You know, you don't see the CDC or the WHO touting, in fact, they even suppress uh, various kinds of alternative uh, therapies, um, natural, holistic uh, therapies, and so forth. Um, so that's one response is to, is to uh, retreat to the familiar. Mm -hmm. Another response is when one uh, edifice of certainty dissolves, you look for another one. If, 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 if what you had thought the world was doesn't, it no longer holds, then you're going to be susceptible to uh, new stories, new narratives that could actually be uh, quite predatory. Um, so, for, um, uh, like, that's how fascism thrives, for mm -hmm. example. Mm -hmm. when, when the familiar and the stable and the secure fall apart, people are in uncertainty, they're in desperation. They're hungry for meaning. They don't know who they are because, because our identity is the function of a social relationship and an economic relationship. So a lot of people now are, are in an identity crisis. They've lost their jobs. They've lost their relevance. They're being called non-essential. Mm -hmm. And those jobs may not be coming back. So there is just a lot of uncertainty. And I'd say let's embrace that. Let's uh, let in... Um, and, and, and visit other ways of looking at the world, other paradigms, other, all of these solutions that you quoted me about earlier that, are kind of, that have been waiting in the wings that could easily solve our society's problems if we only looked up from the ground in front of our feet uh, to, to see these uh, other paths. Mm. So I mean, I could go you know, through um, uh, uh, justice, you know, we, we, to... to to really question the prison system and the whole punishment paradigm of justice, because there's a whole movement of restorative justice and truth and reconciliation that has been thriving on the margins for decades now. Um, and I mentioned medicine. Education is another one. Yes. Like the, the, 
So I, I don't. I won't go too deeply into any of these topics unless you you know want to go there. But yeah, no, no. I think that's a that, that's a, a great kind of framework for for starting to think about how we move to the, the the actual discussion about how things could really, really be different. Uh, I'm talking with Charles Eisenstein. He's a philosopher, public speaker, and author who recently penned an essay titled The Coronation, uh, which talks about the opportunity presented by all of the change that's unfolding around the COVID-19 pandemic to really rethink a lot of the assumptions we make about life uh, under quote-unquote normal circumstances. Do we have to go back to things the way they were? Should we be thinking only of that? Or ought we be thinking about which parts of the normal we used to know make sense? And which parts of what we used to know are ripe for change, are ripe for permanent change, things that we could reshape in a way that benefits more people than it did before. We would love to hear from you uh, during this conversation. Call us and tell us what lessons you think we're learning from the pandemic as a society. And what do you think the world will look like after this? Do you think this will lead to any sort of positive change? Can it? Should it? Or will there be negative changes that take hold on the other side of the pandemic. Also, give us a call and tell us how much you invest in the idea of getting back to quote-unquote normal. What parts of your normal life have changed and you don't necessarily think you want to go back to the way things were? As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and uh, we'll try to work you into the conversation on air. Let's start with Carol in Royal Oak. Carol, welcome to the program. Hi. How are you? I um, had no idea I'd be calling, but something he said, this Eisenstein or whatever, uh-huh. <laughs> he uh, sort of per- pricked my brain. I'm reading a book, How to Be an Anti-Racist, mm-hmm. by Ibram X. Kendi. Yes, who was a guest on the show him. last year, in fact. Okay, yeah. I missed that one. I'm sorry. I heard him on TV, though. Uh, I really feel we haven't enforced poverty. And that's really racism all over the place. Mm-hmm. I think we could do it a hell of a lot better. I'm a retired nurse, so I'm not a philosopher or, a, you know, knowing all about the different kinds of systems that make things work, except that I've seen it in person, poverty. Um, I really think we can do something to make this a better place mm. for all. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So I'm hoping you're going to work on this, Stephen. I'll give you time. <laughs> right. Take care. Carol, I really appreciate the call uh, and, the, and the comments. Uh, uh, Charles Eisenstein, that's a big subject, poverty. Uh, mm-hmm. An even bigger subject, I would argue, is, is, is racism and the ways in which those two work together to make the world that we had before, I think, are, are very obvious in, in the ways in which uh, they they cried out for Im- improvement. Um, I, w- there's no way in, in an hour long show we can solve poverty or racism. But but I, I wonder if you can talk about the opportunities that you see that exist in those two areas to really rethink some of the things that we were taking for granted before. I would love to. I, I really loved the, uh, the 
spirit in, um, in that caller, you know, like the, the spirit of, I know we can do better. Mm-hmm. This is, I, I, one of my books is called The More Beautiful World Our Hearts Know is Possible. Speaking to that, to that exact sentiment, I, that I know we can do better, but the mind, the heart knows that, you know, but the mind is, is, brings up all of these reasons why it's actually impossible to make any big changes. But, you know, poverty, uh, hunger, I mean, hunger has been something that I've been really looking at recently. Um, it, it's quite well known that COVID-19 has been disproportionately affecting people of color and um, the, the vulnerable, the precarious what uh, I think also needs attention is that the lockdown itself is also far, far and away disproportionately affecting the already vulnerable. Yes. The United Nations World Food Program uh, is predicting 260 million people will face starvation this year uh, because of the lockdown. That is, and most of them are in Africa and South Asia, black and brown people, the people who are ordinarily invisible to the dominant system. They're the ones, as usual, who are affected the most, and in this country as well. Um, the people, you know, I'm relatively privileged. I can work from home. You know, I, um, I can't travel and do my public speaking anymore, but, you know, I'm okay. It's an inconvenience for me, but not for the people who are the, the hotel maids and the Uber drivers and, and people who like literally are sending their kids to bed hungry. Mm. So I think that, that this, this event, this COVID event is an invitation for us to broaden the scope of our compassion uh, and, and bring in the invisible. And it is doing that. You know, people are, are, there's a lot of altruism going on right now. I was on another NPR, another public radio program last night, actually. And they were like, yeah, we had this fundraising drive and we met the goal in three days. Mm-hmm. People are, are, even if they are in economic insecurity today, they are more generous than before. So this is what, what this is, an, now I haven't directly said, okay, here's what we should do about poverty and racism, but just basically the understanding that, that both of these are, again, the product of our stories and the systems that are built on those stories, the product, or even I would use the word mythology. We have tremendous abundance in this world. The, the planet wastes more than enough food to feed every hungry person. Mm-hmm. And the biggest irrigated crop in the United States is, guess what? Lawn grass. Yeah. Yeah. If, we, if people, we could potentially easily feed ourselves. If only we turned that, turned our attention and our systems toward that, it would take big changes to revolutionize agriculture, to go, uh, to, to revitalize gardens and, and small, high productivity organic farms that regenerate soil. Like, but we could do it. Mm. We can do anything. Yeah. So we're going to take a quick break. Poverty, yeah. yeah, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, okay. we're going to continue this conversation and we're going to get to, to more of our callers. We got a lot of folks who want to weigh in on this subject. Joan in Southfield, Kathy in Heartland and Mark in Redford Township. We will hear from you next. If you want to join them, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today.
Detroit Today on 101.9 WDT. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm glad you've joined us. My guest is Charles Eisenstein, a philosopher, public speaker, and author who recently penned an essay titled The Coronation, which talks about the opportunity to change the way we think of ourselves in the world, to change the way we think about the world around us uh, because of the pandemic that is forcing change on us right now. We want to hear from you about that opportunity and what you think of it. Uh, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Uh, Charles, before we get back to callers, and I do want to get to, to many more callers here, I want to have you quickly explain the title of your essay, The Coronation. What does that mean? Uh, yeah. Yeah. So um, the cor- a coronation is, is, well, for one thing, it's a play on coronavirus. Of course. Of course. Uh, <laughs> But it's a, it means a crowning, uh, which is uh, a, a, a ceremony of coming into sovereignty. And so the idea is, uh, for one thing, that our society has been helplessly playing out um, trends and an underlying story, an underlying story of the world that has, it's been unconscious and it hasn't been serving us. And now we can take ownership of our future. Uh, thanks in part to this uh, addiction intervention, this pause in normality. And then on a personal level, too, it's, it's giving us occasion to ask, what kind of life do I want to live uh, to become more sovereign over our lives? So it has a personal dimension and also a collective political dimension. Mm, yeah. Uh, again, 313 1019 is the number on the phones. Let's go to Joan in Southfield. Joan, welcome to the show. Good morning. Hey, how are you? Fine. I have one, well, a couple of of comments to make here. Um, Your guest just explained about the the crowning. Um, A crowning would, to me, seem to be the, your mind, the crowning of your mind, and that, and which is energy. Hmm. We don't. It's not that we have to go back. We will, we will not go back. And how things can be different, we make them different by our thoughts, our thought process. That's the crowning. That's our energy, and the energy of each one of us is individual. It, it comes to be collective when it is is used collectively, but each one of us are individuals using our own crowning, our own energy, individually in making our our thoughts, in making our actions in sync with what is 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 happening, mm. and to get to the root of that crowning. Yeah, jo- Joan, I really appreciate. The call and and your thoughts there. I think that's a really that's a really complex set of thoughts uh, there to share with our listeners. I'm really glad you called uh, and interjected that into into our conversation here. Let's go to Kathy in Heartland. Kathy, welcome to Detroit today. Hi, hi, hi. Thank you for taking my call. Mm-hmm. I'm so excited because this gentleman is saying everything that um, I've been thinking and feeling. This is an opportunity. Everything can change. Everything can change quickly. We can change um, is, is one of the messages I think we can get from this. I wanted to talk about national health insurance. Mm-hmm. 
for years, I've been so frustrated because everybody says we can't afford it. We can't do it. Times aren't right. It would cost too much. I wanted to talk about Britain's experience when they formed their national health care. It was immediately after World War II. The country was in ruins. It was bombed out. They had no money. They were bankrupt. They had food rationing in Britain well into the 1950s because things were so bad there. That was the point they chose to start the national health insurance because they said, how could we not do this for people who have suffered so much? Mm. And that is when they chose to do it. Mm. We can do it if we have the will to do it. Yeah. Uh, Kathy, I really appreciate your call as well. Really, really great uh, thoughts and sentiments coming in from uh from our callers uh, on this on this subject, um, uh, Charles, I I, I want to give you a chance to talk just a little about your newest essay, which talks about uh, some of the conspiracy theories that have gained steam, I guess, uh, during the, the during the COVID pandemic. Mm. Yeah. Um, first, let me just comment a little bit on Joan and Kathy. Sure. Um, you know, one is talking about more of a spiritual issue; the other is talking about more of a political issue. Um, and I think that, that this interruption is offering us a, a rethink on every level. So, yeah, like uh, universal health care, uh, nationalized health care, that is, um, it seems so impossible, so politically unfeasible uh, just half a year ago. And now it's like, of course we can do that if we want to. Uh, however, the idea that, that so, I, I, you know, as I was, as, as you know, um, and as many people feel, this is offering us a new opportunity to choose um, to, to accomplish something that had seemed impossible before, but it's not a guarantee that that will happen. Mm-hmm. It's really asking us, it's inviting us to claim a different society, to fight for a different society, uh, to exert our collective will to change the world. It won't do it for us. So I, I love the, the mention of universal health care. That's just one of many things that we could accomplish now. Mm-hmm. But, but coronavirus is not our salvation. It's our invitation. Um, and, and maybe I could get into the more conspiracy realm. I'll yeah, say that we've got we've got just a minute and a half left, but I do want you to talk uh, just briefly about this new essay. Okay. So, yeah, just um, what needs to change is more than just our financing of health care. But it's the whole paradigm of healthcare. The I think a lot of the conspiracy theories. For one thing, conspiracy theories just can be just a political smear. You know, it can just be a way to write off anything that disagrees with the dominant narrative. But also, conspiracy theories give voice to a certain helplessness, a feeling that we are have have been victims of a of a system beyond our understanding that has. Uh, controlled our leaders. The conspiracy theory says there's an evil cabal of, of, of Illuminati that, that pull the strings of the, of the puppets and control our leaders. Well, maybe it's not an evil cabal. Maybe it is a system. Maybe it's a system of capitalism, patriarchy, uh, white supremacy, um, and, and a mythology of, of separation that holds us as separate individuals, separate from each other, separate from nature. Like that, the presence of that, hmm. um, that's what can change right now. And so that's the truth that is within conspiracy theories. 
And I think also we should pay attention to some of the dissenting viewpoints mm. that that they enroll. Yeah. Okay, Charles Eisenstein, I'm actually quite sad that we have run out of time to talk with you about this. You've been a really great guest and I think a provocative uh, guest in helping our listeners to, to really think about this. Thanks very much for being here. Well, thanks for having me. Sure. That's going to do it for us today. We'll be back on Monday for a conversation about what schools might look like when they open. Uh, this is 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again on Monday.